a deceptive score can influence the next week's price. Those things are worth looking at, whereas they've won six out of their last seven, you know, indoors or something like that. That's usually just a bunch of crap. Welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com and part of Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and this episode is an NFL Week 17 breakdown with a very special guest, a titan of industry, Chris Andrews, the sportsbook director at South Point Hotel Casino. Chris brings more than four decades of bookmaking experience in Nevada to the table, so it's safe to say he's a living legend. He's also the author of two books, The latest and greatest being, then one year, history's craziest year as seen by a Las Vegas bookmaker. In our conversation, we get into NFL Week 17, including a couple games Chris likes, plus how he's handling the chaotic news cycle from the other side of the counter. We also get Chris's thoughts on a year in review as a bookmaker, including his insight on some of the wildest betting results he's seen, and his perspective on the biggest developments in the industry in 2021 and how that shapes his outlook for 2022. And as we share this interview on the eve of David Malinsky's 61st birthday, from one icon to another, we get Chris's thoughts on the best advice he's ever received. One housekeeping note before we cut to the conversation, if you want NFL picks driven by analytics and thousands of simulations, check out the Cutting Edge Quick Pick section for free over at Dimers.com. You can find a link in the show notes to see where you want to get down on the Dimersbot's biggest edges. And now, enjoy my conversation with the one and only Chris Andrews. Chris Andrews, welcome to Props and Hops. Thank you so much for taking time to connect today. It's an honor to be having this conversation with you. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, I think uh, somebody with such legendary experience like you gives us a million possible starting points. I'll just try to jump to the current moment. I know a lot of the country right now kind of reeling from yesterday's passing of both John Madden and Harry Reid. And I imagine they both had uh, quite an influence on your life and your career. Is that safe to assume? Uh, that's um, no doubt very safe to assume. It's hard for me to put into context which one more. I mean, in the wide world of sports, of course, it's John Madden. But, you know, I, I you know, kind of sounds like I'm dropping names a little bit. I, but uh, I, I knew Harry a little bit. He'd been in my office a couple of times. I've been to dinner sat at his table there's only eight of us at the table and uh <laughs> i always remember i had him laughing at a couple of things so i always kind of remember that so um you know we he probably didn't remember me but i posted that letter that uh that he wrote probably somebody reminded him hey this is that guy that uh, you met with a couple times over some some issues and uh it was nice enough to write me that letter yeah, that's so cool. Well, I know uh, you don't need to worry about name dropping here. I, I know that you have uh, literally written the book and now twice uh, on, on so much history. So feel free to to just go ahead and knock yourself out. And I'd love to dive into NFL Week 17. For the first time, Week 17, not the final week of the regular season, but in this new cycle, 
kind of feels like we're in a perpetual state of week 17 here. What's it like for you going through this process and trying to figure out if there's any games you want to take a stand on or uh, where you might be facing some liabilities? Well, it's funny. I was on the air uh, just on Monday and I said, really, kind of what you just echoed. seems like the last couple of weeks, every week's been like week 17. Uh, at this point in time, handicapping or I'd say kind of getting on the right side isn't so much handicapping. It's finding out who's in and who's out and betting accordingly. Uh, It doesn't always work out that way. You know, we've actually, we actually had a pretty good week last week. Um, But, you know, you could just see a lot of line movement depending on, uh, on, you know, the, the injury report or COVID report, however you want to see it. Uh, And that's really moving a lot of numbers. And it's been challenging because your, your ordinary like handicapping skills, I would say, you know, I don't want to say they're thrown out the window, but they can't take a back seat to, to who's in and who's out. Yeah, in the last 24 hours or so, I think the most prominent example, we could jump to the top of the board, Las Vegas, Indianapolis, and the big bombshell Carson Wentz to the COVID list. Maybe not a huge surprise to a lot of fans with the knowledge that he's unvaccinated, but uh, that finally happened. So it seems like, okay, everybody's trying to bet the Raiders while they can. The line crashes to what, uh, around one and a half or two for a bit. It comes off the board a lot of books. But now I'm looking, seeing some six and a halfs because the NFL, NFLPA decide to adopt some new CDC guidance, moving the isolation window from 10 days to five days. So it's not even like you're following just NFL news. It is, you know, pretty much national news at the highest level. Uh, What was that experience in particular like managing it from a bookmaking side of things? Well, we got hit. I mean, there's no doubt we got hit on it. And, uh, you know, and I kind of had read the story the day before by Greg Doyle who's an Indianapolis uh, sports writer. And he talked about how the, the Colts among all the teams are probably more vulnerable than anybody else because, because of Wentz and, uh, you know, Nelson, their, their terrific guard and a couple other guys you mentioned. I'm not the greatest knowing all the names of the players, but anyway, some key players for the Colts who were unvaccinated. And, uh, you know, we saw it the week before um, when all the money showed on the Cardinals late in the day, and in the week, as the reports came out of the unvaxxed players and, and the guys that were on the COVID list, now the Colts played terrific football and won that game. Uh, then now you got Carson Wentz out. That number dropped precipitously. I wound up taking it off the board. Uh, spent, you know, I, I don't mind if I, if I know who's not playing and who is playing. But right now, I think it's totally up in the air whether Carson Wentz is going to play or not. It was backups Ellinger. I mean, I don't need, mean to cast aspersions, but – I, I didn't think he was that great at Texas. And then all of a sudden now, and Wentz is having a good year. I saw he's sixth in the league, I think, at QBR. Um, and he seems to fit that team very well. And uh, having Ellinger instead, I just think would be a monstrous difference. So right now I have it off my board. And, you know, I hope to have it up by Friday or Saturday. But uh, we'll have to see what the CDC says, because right now they have as much control over this thing as anybody. Yeah, and I'd love to also touch on one game where fortunately we do have a degree of clarity uh, just to see, you know, where my handicapping process uh, might be able to align or perhaps veer in a different direction from the way that you look at things on your side of the counter. Um, I've already gone ahead and gotten down on the Lions. Um, I'd say the current plus seven. I still see some value. They are traveling to Seattle this week. And when I look at that game, a couple of things I think about would be red zone 
for the Lions last week. They were 0 for 4. The Falcons were 2 for 2. So even though the Lions covered that game, maybe one of the more misleading final scores was the Lions not getting the outright win. If they do get that win, I have a hard time seeing how this number is plus 7. Maybe the Seahawks home field advantage, which has been legendary over the years, still getting a bit more credit than it deserves because this is not the Legion of Boom team. I feel like the fans know that, and, and perhaps Seattle's home field advantage, not what it once was. I'm wondering if that factor isn't fully being accounted for. Also, a game like this with a low total. I mean, right now we're looking at 42.5 to 43 across the board. That magnifies the value of getting a full touchdown compared to a game lined in the 50s like we've seen plenty of throughout the course of this season. Um, is there anything I'm missing where you think the number at a flat seven seems correct in your eyes? No, and I'm looking at my notes. I made the game six and a half, so, you know, cutting it pretty close if I was out there betting. Sure. So that six and a half was a good number. Uh, and I'm also looking at my notes. I give them two points for a home field advantage, which, by the way, is still fairly strong in my line of thinking. Most teams are either in one, one and a half. Two is actually kind of a high uh, home field advantage for me. Um, I, I, I'm wondering about Jared Goff though, is he in or out, you know, cause he's been, we've kind of gotten both reports about right. him, but I think this Detroit team plays really, really hard. Um, they don't have abundant an abundance of talent and Seattle now all of a sudden out of the playoffs for the first time. in you know, what a decade, maybe something like that. Uh, you just wonder how emotionally they're going to feel going into a game like this. You know, against the, a team that, you know, mentally they, they probably think they should beat. And I'm not sure their preparation all week is going to be what it should be. So I, I definitely lean towards Detroit in this game. Uh, and I know what you said about last week, but I was sure glad when Campbell kicked that field goal to cut it to four. That was pretty good. Yeah, might not have been the most optimal decision in terms of win probability. Uh, yeah, but from the standpoint of who's going to cover the game, of course, that's that's the name of the game in this whole endeavor. Uh, and you and I both uh, didn't mind it needing a little bit of Detroit there at the end. And and this week, as we you know we've touched on Lions, Seattle. I know Colts Raiders off the board for very easy to understand reasons. Are there any games at this point where you do feel like there's enough clarity to know? where you're looking to take a bit of a stand and maybe like the lions last week, um, need, need a side come Sunday. Yeah. I got a couple games that kind of like, um, you know, I, I like the Eagles this week and I usually don't like, you know, road favorites, but like I said, I think the home field advantage has been greatly overstated. Uh, I like the Eagles. I think they're playing some pretty good football right now. I think Washington, uh, really has an awful lot of injuries, and I think it's really impacted their play. And I don't like to play momentum. I always talk about it in the NFL. If you play momentum, uh, you're probably going to get beat in the long run. You really have to buy low and sell high. And right now there's a lot of money showing on Washington. I see it even, you know, three with some juice on the favorite in some places. So I think if you could lay the Eagles at a, at a field goal, even if you have to lay a little extra juice, I think there's some value there. Um you know, I got some other ones that I'm, I'm kind of looking at. There's not I'm, I'm totally crazy about, but uh, you know, I, I definitely favor the Detroit side. Um, you know, I try not. I, I let my opinion. I always say my opinion is worth one bet. You know, when you're a bookmaker, I don't mind going in with a side. I don't mind that at all. I mean, as a matter of fact, I prefer to go in with a side. But I try to go in with a side with the smart money. And uh, sometimes my opinion is on with the smart money, and sometimes it's not, to be honest with you. But we try to go in with the, the quote-unquote right side as often as possible. And, you know, over the years, I think I've done a decent job of doing that. 
Absolutely. And when it comes to trying to go in with the right side of things, I know everybody can talk themselves into or off of just about any team any week. Is there anything that comes to mind if I'm to ask you maybe some of the most overrated stats or factors that often get talked about a lot, but in reality are already priced into the line? Well, I see a lot of guys come out with these trends. And uh, I don't want to say the guy's name. He's kind of well-known. But he come out with a, a, a boatload of trends on every game. And I always say, if you read the trends on, like, a particular game, I wanted to bet every penny in my bank account both on and against both teams because you can make that justification. And I think if you if you do a, enough data mining, you can come up with that all the time. That's why I think it's really important to keep current statistics. And, you know, the games are decided on the field. And there are some trends, I think, if you're looking at quote-unquote trends that are uh, – reflected in the price or, or, or perhaps better to say not reflected in the price. I think there's ways that you could look at last week's results and overrated team or underrated team coming into this week. And if you look at things like that, uh, things where, um, you know, a, a deceptive score can influence the next week's price. I think those trends, you know, again, I hate to call them trends, but those things are worth looking at. Whereas, um, you know, they're, you know, they've won six out of their last seven, you know, indoors or something like that. Uh, th that's usually just a bunch of crap, to be honest with you. It's refreshing to hear that from you because, uh, yeah, I, I try to filter out that and just consider it noise and, and don't want to miss out on any meaningful signal there. But sometimes uh, signal among trends like that might be like searching for a needle in a haystack and, and maybe not the best use of everybody's time where there are more meaningful things to look at elsewhere. So... Bigger picture than week 17, I'd also love at this time of year, we're recording this the afternoon of December 29th, to think about a year in review for a moment. Uh, does anything stand out when it comes to some of the best and worst betting results you've seen at the South Point over the course of 2021? Well, I, I went back because I knew you were going to ask me a question, something like that. And I went back and, I, you know, I, I can't exactly pinpoint what it was, but the week of... Uh, June 7th through the 13th. I mean, we virtually lost every single day. And I know we're in the middle of baseball season. Uh, we, we had some NBA stuff going on and uh, we just lost every single day. Now there's something I, I always tell my bosses, whoever I happen to be working for at the time, when you get a bad baseball, when you get a bad football matchup, it's one game, it's over. You move on to the next day. You get a bad baseball matchup. That thing might last three or four days. And if there's a couple of them together at the same time, I mean, you're pretty much handing out money, you know, to let's say you got the three or four bad matchups. You can move that price all you want. It doesn't change the winner. It's not like in a football game. But if you go to two and a half up to three and a half, you, you can actually change the winner. Baseball, all you can really do is manage the risk. And that's all you can do. And you do your best. Uh, but when you lose, you're going to lose. You just try to cut that loss as much as you can. Uh, and unfortunately, I've been through with some of those. And I can remember back, I, I, I think it was the early 90s, just, you know, when guys were in rotation, you had, uh, you know, Randy Johnson. I, I want to say was with Arizona at the time. Roger Clemens with the Yankees and uh, Greg Maddox with, with the Braves. And they were on rotation. And they came up every single week on the same day. And – 
they won a bunch of games and it was hard to get. I, I mean, I don't blame guys. I'd bet that three teamer all the time too. You're going to win a bunch of them. And uh, it was really hard to get them off of that. And, uh, you know, finally uh, there must've been a day off or something. And uh, we finally got to break up the rotation, but it was hard to win during that time. Uh, so anyway, I, I had that one week and I was looking back over our reports. We got murdered that week. And we had a couple of weeks uh, this year uh, in football season. Uh, I think it was October I want to say October 10th and then the following week, October 17th on Sunday, just two massacres, you know, and we got, we got beat up pretty bad. And then uh, December, I want to say December 12th, we got beat up pretty bad that day too. So we've had some bad weeks along the way, but uh, it's funny. My, my, one of the owners here, one of the partners, uh, we were in the meeting on Tuesday. We have a meeting every Tuesday and Michael gone, who's my boss. And I love Michael and we tease each other quite a bit over the years. Uh, he was making fun of me for losing that that much money on a day, and then right away his partner Frank Toady, uh, you know, he chimed in. He says, "Michael, go to the second page and see where those numbers are. We're exactly where we're supposed to be." So I said, "Okay, yeah, thank you, Frank." And uh, and it was true. We were, uh, you know, it's just going to be up up and down. That's just the nature of this business. And I remember uh, reading a book on finance from uh, uh, from oh the guy, uh, oh God, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, the the sage from Omaha. Uh, oh, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. Thank you. God, it's tough getting old. I'll tell you. And Buffett says, you know, you could hold a smooth ten percent or a lumpy fifteen percent. He goes, I'll go for the lumpy fifteen percent every time. Now, God knows, I wish we could hold fifteen percent. We're not getting anywhere near there. But it is a it is a very bumpy road along the way to get to whatever number we're at. That's just the nature of our business. Yeah, it's kind of refreshing to hear that, again, from your perspective, because some of the betters I respect most will talk about over the arc of a football season, if they have a really good year, it's often three or four really good weeks that are making a majority of that profit. And the rest of it, they're just, you know, a little up, a little down, uh, more or less trying to stay above water. So it, it goes both ways. Of course, there's probably some nice magic in being on the plus 110 side of the equation. Um, as opposed to laying it. But when betters can pick their spots, again, in those, you know, those baseball matchups where we've got the aces lining up, uh, kind of kind of an interesting history of, of just enduring some rocky weeks. And as you outlined that, I thought, okay, talking to the guy who wrote then one day, then one year, um, as you described some of these in, in the sequences of different weeks, uh, maybe then one week could be a future possibility <laughs> if you've got it in you for a third book. Well, I do have it in me for a third book. Uh, we're going to call it then another then another day, uh, which when I when I started writing then one day or then one year, uh, if anybody, you know, and you're way too young to remember this, but there's a great book by Larry Merchant called the National Football Lottery. And he got some money. I think he got thirty five thousand dollars from his editor. This is in 1972. Uh, to go and bet for an entire football season and document it. He, was, he had bookmakers in New York and he was flying out to Las Vegas and he had a girlfriend in Las Vegas and a girlfriend in New York. And it's really, it's a great read. Uh, and I, I had read that a while back. And when I wanted to do a second book, I thought, well, that's a, that's a great kind of a, a jumping off point to just, you know, because everybody always asks the book, how did you do over the weekend? They ask you every week. And I, you know, I'm, I could probably write a master's thesis on exactly why that is because I'd have to do some research. But nobody asks, uh, one friend of mine says, you know, nobody, when Nike releases a new shoe, nobody goes into Foot Locker and says, hey, how'd you do on the weekend? You know, but everyone wants to know how the sports book did. So that's a great way to write the book. Anyway, so I decided to do it for 2020. 
God knows 2020 did not turn out how any one of us thought it would. And I was, as I was writing it, and of course I had talked to my editors and publishers before writing the book. They thought it was a good idea. And halfway through, I sent it to him. I says, you know, where I'm at, I said, is this any good? I have no idea. This is nowhere near what I thought it was going to be. And they said, yeah, yeah, this is really good. Just keep going. And, you know, when we get to the end, we'll figure it all out. So we had just a ton of material. I think when I, when I finished, when I finished like the raw draft, I had about 160,000 words. That's way too big. So we just kept cutting it, cutting it, cutting it. And we finally got it down to about 90,000 words. And I, I think it's very readable. And uh, the editor I work with, a guy by the name of Deke Castleman, he uh, he really helped uh, cleaning up the book to make it in a very readable form. Because, you know, I was just writing every day. I didn't have time to go back and do a lot of editing myself, you know. But uh, we were just writing every day. And, you know, and in the end, I, I, th- I think it turned out pretty good. It's very interesting. It's not as fun is then one day. It's definitely not. But uh, there wasn't a whole lot of fun in 2020. But I tried to inject as much humor as I could along the way. But sometimes, be, be quite honest with you, it wasn't that humorous. Yeah, sometimes the more refreshing thing is just to be real. And in 2020, a lot of stuff got really real yeah. in a hurry. And I'm curious, a kind of a parallel I see to betting, the importance of being able to pivot on or off of certain teams and just be flexible over the course of a season. Um, you know, important in your case to pivot based on the year that's unfolding as you're writing this book and from the pandemic setting in to a lot of racial unrest during the summer to a very contentious presidential election. um, Were there any key moments that stand out when you really started to realize, hey, this is much different than what I planned on doing, but it still might be worth doing? Well, I think the key moment, you know, when you go back and look, probably the the thing that kind of set things off in a direction. And I don't mean to cast aspersions at this guy, because I even said it in the book when I wrote it the first day. And like, let me backtrack for a second. When I was writing on a daily basis, I never went back and changed my thoughts. I mean, I edited as far as cleaning up sentences and paragraphs, blah, blah, blah. But I never changed my thoughts. So when Rudy Gobert kind of made a joke out of uh, the COVID and he wound up touching the microphone and all My first thought was, boy, that's really that was totally irresponsible. But later on, I kind of wrote, you know, like I I was way too hard on him. You know, he didn't understand where we were in the pandemic. Uh, You know, yeah, heck, we're a year and a half into this and a lot of people still don't understand everything. So I was very hard on him and I kind of like apologized in a way. Uh, but that was probably the first thing. And then we, we had some NBA games got canceled. And I remember Mark Cuban's face when they said, well, games are canceled. His just startled look. Uh, that was like the first thing. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, wow, this is really going to be different. And I remember, so this was, you know, middle of March. Or was it February? I think it was February. Whenever it was. No, it was March because we were right, right about ready to start the NCAA tournament. And I remember thinking, boy, I hope this thing is done by by June. And I know another friend of mine said, I'd, I'd settle for July. And I said, boy, you're you're not being optimistic enough. We'll get through this. <laughs> then next thing you know, we're saying, well, maybe August, you know, and then then next thing you know, you had guys like Kirk Herbstreet, you know, who's really a voice of reason saying he thought the entire college football season would be canceled. And of course, for some teams, it was. And, uh, you know, I think you know, uh, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, they jumped in late. And I think there's a passage in the book where 
I think Texas San Antonio had played their 11th game of the season and Utah was playing their first. Uh, some, so some weird things like that. So, I, you know, I think the Rudy Gobert thing, if you go back and look at that, that was the beginning of it. But, you know, things just progressed along the way. And, you know, we never knew what, what tomorrow was going to bring, you know. And, and here we are now, like I said, a year and a half later, we're still canceling bowl games, you know, hours before they're ready to start. I wanted to put up some props for New Year's Day. And my one guy says, are we sure everybody's going to play that day? And I said, you know what? Let's wait till Friday. Yeah, once again, it's reassuring on my end to hear how there's even some trepidation on the bookmaking side of things. Because a lot of bettors I've been speaking to have been wondering if they should wait until later in the week to place their bets. Again, the risk being that you want more complete information. But by the time you have that, the market's going to be probably more efficient than it was when you had a chance at a good number that had some more volatility to it. But just a, a surreal time. And um, I know that this being such a surreal time, then one year coming from such a unique perspective is yours. I think has so much value to any sports fans out there who want to pick it up and read a copy of it. Am I correct that, that Amazon uh, still sold out of the book, but it can be purchased directly from your publisher? Exactly. Yeah. Huntington press. And I have a link. Uh, if you go to my, um, if you go to my pin tweet, there's a link there to go to Huntington press and I would recommend going there. Uh, you know, we're trying to get it restocked at Amazon because I know a lot of people just kind of go to it automatically uh you know i've been trying to send them there but naturally like i said it's hard to break old habits yeah well uh, i guess it's a good problem to have if amazon is sold out i think that's a strong signal for yeah. the amount of interest in this thing and uh, kind of a silly question i guess after we just talked about how unpredictable everything is but if we zoom out and look at the betting industry as a whole um, i'd be interested and perhaps any of your insights on the biggest developments over this past year in the industry and how that might inform any predictions you may have for what lies ahead in 2022. Well, we've seen a lot of these European outfits uh, enter the market and uh, they do things a lot differently than the U.S. markets. Now, some things um, I've actually taken note of, uh, they do a lot more as far as like prop wagering. And we, we've expanded our prop menu considerably uh just to kind of keep up uh but there's a lot of stuff they do that i don't like you know so um without casting aspersions to some of them i, I would say that you know the one thing that, that affected me and, and maybe in a positive way is we're trying to do a lot more prop bets than we had in the past and uh you know the prop bets you know that's kind of thing like the media love the loves those things but i can see on a daily basis the betters you know, they, it, it's kind of ho-hum in a lot of ways. They might get some small bets. Or if you make a mistake, they'll be all over you. That I can promise. Sure. But uh, for the most part, uh, it, it, it's your smaller betters that are, are playing those things. Yeah, well, something worth keeping an eye on. Definitely hearing um, a lot of enthusiasm for that. Uh, again, with smaller betters, same game parlays seem to yeah. have taken off like crazy this year. And um Probably not a great way to make a living if that's anybody's desire, but I guess if somebody just wants a little bit of action, maybe some micro betting on, on things like that, or even now I'm seeing in running a lot of like this drive, will it end in a, in a score and a punt uh, and so on? So maybe a lot of smaller options, uh, kind of like as the world moves toward TikTok and things like that, shorter attention spans, maybe they can get yeah. smaller bets in and get them decided more quickly. Yeah, you look back, uh, you know, 
couple hundred years ago and you wonder how they even got through a night you know without <laughs> uh without television or or you know your computer games or whatever have you you know i guess people did a lot more reading and that sort of thing and uh, i don't know uh we've moved away from that gradually and maybe even exponentially in the last couple of years yeah, well, let's move away from sports for a bit, if we may. And I can also uh, remove this from the published episode, if you prefer. But as a graduate of USC, um, I saw a tweet you posted earlier this year after going through a bone marrow transplant. I believe it was through the Keck uh, School of Medicine through USC. Mm-hmm. And it was such an awesome thing to read. I know it's been quite a journey for you. And uh, at USC, you know, everything Trojan football, really all sports fight on being the slogan. Uh, it sounds to me like your experience embodies fighting on better than anything else that I've encountered uh, throughout my time as a member of the Trojan family. So if you'd be comfortable sharing anything about that experience and what sure. it was like for you. Well, originally my doctors were at Stanford um, and I still have good connection at Stanford. Uh, but just to backtrack, they told me when I finally did need the bone marrow transplant, they told me, it says, uh, because our insurance covered us at USC. It did not cover us at Stanford. But they told me, I says, USC will do as good a job as anybody. And I think in this past year, I made, I think I posted it on Twitter. They're actually number one in the country. Their success rate was up over, I think it was 88.7%, something like that. And I wasn't included in that because I, you're only considered cured after two years. And it was before my two-year mark. But just to kind of walk you through, um, so this was 2017 when I was first diagnosed and, uh, well, they told me there's only a 30% chance that this thing would work and, uh, and about a 30% chance that it would kill me. So I'm thinking, well, I didn't, wasn't too crazy about those odds. And then a 40%, ch- yeah. And then about a 40% chance that it wouldn't do anything. So I, you know, I, I was, you know, I was doing okay considering, you know, um, now that I look back, I didn't realize just how bad it was, you know, but anyway, I just get kept getting progressively worse progressively worse and uh in the meantime uh my daughter had a child so i had a a grandchild you know my wife uh and i'll include a lot of this in my next book but my wife had some difficulties herself too uh with a brain tumor uh but that again not to go into that too much right now but anyway between my wife and my daughter they convinced me you got to go try to get this bone marrow transplant because i was going downhill fast i probably I had it in July of 2019. I, I, I probably wouldn't have made it another two months. Uh, so I figured, well, you know, I, I, I should probably do it. But anyway, so once I got in there, so originally they told me 30%. Then once I got in, I said, well, we're up to about 50% now. And, uh, you know, me being who I am, the first thought I said 50%. Well, that's, that's better odds than the casino gives you in anything. So I might as well take a <laughs> shot, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, just things just kept getting, you know, there, there's certain criteria you have to do to match and not to go into too many details. But once they found a match for me, they said, well, with these specific circumstances, it's really about a 70 percent chance. Now, that sounds good. And it is it is good. I don't want to uh, poo poo that. But I mean, it's kind of like cash. It's kind of like making a bet. It's either going to win or it's not. You know, even you might have had a 70 percent chance of winning the bet. But they threw an interception in the end zone. And you blow the game. You know your ticket's not worth anything. So even though I, I knew it was seventy percent in my favor, there's still thirty percent against me. So I, I knew that. So I went in, and um, you know I just I'll tell anybody right now if you're going through it, that first couple of weeks is brutal. 
Uh, and, but I kept asking the doctors, you know, how am I doing? Is they running tests just constantly? And that's another thing I would say. If you do go into a hospital, you can go into a teaching hospital. That's probably my experience is that's the best way because it, you know, part of part of your your cure, your the process is that they're learning off you the whole time. So they kept running tests on me constantly. And, I, and I'd always ask them, how am I doing? You're doing great. And I'm thinking, man, I feel like shit. And I'm doing great. I hate to be one of those guys that wasn't doing so good because I was, <laughs> I was feeling awful. But they kept telling me how good I was doing. So anyway, uh, eventually, you know, like the hundred day mark is like a big day, a big uh, uh, criteria to get to. So we got we got to the hundred day, and I was feeling pretty good. And uh, you know, eventually I went home. I'm still seeing doctors, uh, you know, fairly regularly. Matter of fact, I just talked to USC. I think two or three days ago, we had a telemed conference. I'd get a lot, you know, with COVID and everything, I get a lot of tests here in Las Vegas and they get sent to USC. Then I meet with my doctors over Zoom or something like that. So um, that's, that's, everything's been really good. So I'm now over two years. So I'm considered cured now. And, uh, you know, when I, like I said, four years ago, they gave me two years to live. But now I talk to them, I said, well, I should have, you know, a normal lifespan. I'm 65. I don't know what a normal lifespan. It might be, you know, another two weeks or it might be 25 years. I have no idea. But I think I'm in that category now where I should have like, you know, what they would say a normal lifespan. That is so great to hear. And yeah, I just couldn't be happier for you and your family. It seems like a, a lot um let alone in the middle of a pandemic for a good chunk yeah. of it. So. Well, that's another funny thing. So when I was going through this, I was quarantined. So I was quarantined for, for six months or more. You know, So then all of a sudden I'm out of quarantine and two months later I'm back in quarantine because of COVID. So, so I guess maybe I got kind of used to it and I had to wear a mask around town and, you know, people were kind of looking at you like, you know, what's this guy? What's wrong with this guy? He's wearing a mask. And then, like I said, a couple months later, the whole world's wearing masks. So maybe I was a trendsetter yeah. in that way. Yeah, uh, come come hang out uh, in L.A. and, and you might get some looks uh, like that if you're not wearing one. So it's just been, yeah, a, a really tough world to predict lately. But I'm so glad that's the best news of all that we could get into. Oh, on thank the podcast. you. So, yeah, um, so so happy for you again and your family there. And Chris, I want to respect your time. I have a few quick things to wrap us up sure. here. One topic I love to end the show with is a nod to um, – Point blank, the best man I've ever known, the late, great David Malinsky, a sports betting legend. Um, yeah. I understand that you maybe didn't know him too well, but I'd imagine that you you at least probably knew of him during his uh, epic run in Vegas. And I had the chance to uh, do some work with him and, and get to know him a bit over the last couple years of his life. And tomorrow, December 30th, would have been his 61st birthday. So kind of going from one legend and Dave to another and you, uh, is there anything you'd be willing to share along the lines of the best advice that you've ever received? Well, first of all, let me talk about Dave. I, I met him only a few times. We did not know each other, but I, I of course knew people who knew him. So I knew of him. I knew of his work. I really thought he was a, a very bright guy and, and a good guy from all I knew, but although I did not know him well. Like I said, we, we, we crossed paths only a few times. And uh, I think that's unfortunate because I think had I known him a little better, I think we'd have probably been good friends. Uh, but, um, you know, as far as advice, you know, just ignoring Dave because he was a very smart guy. You know, I was very lucky 
uh, growing up. I grew up in the, in a house with Jack Franzi, known as Pittsburgh Jack. Uh, he's my uncle. And I was coming out to Las Vegas. He he moved out. And this is the story of how that happened in the first book. But he moved out to Las Vegas in 1970. I was 14 years old. And uh, I was flying out every so often. And I was, you know, he'd go to lunch with his guys, legends in the business, legends, you know, Bob Martin, uh, Bob Black, you know, Jackie gone. I knew Jackie gone before I knew Michael gone. And uh, I, I, I don't claim to be any genius, but I was smart enough to keep my mouth shut and listen to these guys as they talked about our business. And like, like I said, I was 14 years old and getting an education that you, you couldn't get at an Ivy League school. Uh, you know, in this particular business. So uh, is there one sage piece of advice? I can't say there's one, but there's there's a lot that I gleaned off of those guys. And like I said, I would say anybody uh, who's out there and, you know, young people, I don't, you know, I mean, and I was young at the time too, but I, I would say hey, you probably don't have all the answers. I'm 65 years old. I still don't have all the answers. I still learn a lot of stuff, you know, on a continuous basis. And I'm very lucky. I got Jimmy Vaccaro, who's in the office next to me. He's 76 and he would tell you the same thing. He's still learning stuff all the time, but I have Jimmy to talk to. I have Michael gone to talk to Frank Tony. A lot of my guys are younger guys and they have a different perspective uh, on the business and what's going on out there. And um, you know, I mean, it's, it's just a, it, it, it's a business and really like the rest of the world constantly changing. And you have to be aware of uh, you know, what the latest things are in any kind of business, any kind of walk of life. And I, I try to do that myself as much as I can. So that's one thing I would tell you, keep your, keep your mouth shut sometime and your ears open and see, see what you can learn. Love it. Well, it's going to be tough to one up that. So I'll do a quick shift of gears over to the other pillar of this podcast, the hops and uh, nothing with hops in it, but I heard you uh, with my friend Ross McDowell on the early value NFL podcast recently drop Middleton Irish whiskey as a favorite yeah. of yours. And yeah. I'm wondering, I mean, that, that's an excellent call, but is there anything, whether it's in beer or spirits that you've been enjoying particularly of late? Well, give me one that I enjoy of late is Pilsner or Quell. Probably mm. my favorite beer, a Czech beer, probably my favorite beer. But uh, as I knew you were going to kind of ask me these things, I had a couple others that I haven't had for a while. And I'm wondering if they're off the market or what, but probably my, one of my favorite beers for a long time was Steinlager out of New Zealand. And I haven't seen that in the, on the shelves. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to say I follow it to know enough what maybe could have happened to it, but that was always one of my favorite beers. And I had such a clean taste, you know, that water from New Zealand, uh, probably, probably a, lack of pollution let's say and the other one that i i saw disappear off the shelves and i don't know why was a new england beer pete's wicked ale that was another one that was one of my favorites so anybody has you know and like i said i'm not like i'm crazy i'm going nuts over it but i remember drinking those two beers a lot that i haven't seen now in a while but uh, i don't drink beer as much anymore I, you know i guess at my age it fills me up a little too much but uh, i do like whiskey irish whiskey is my favorite uh, and like I said, Middleton is my absolute favorite, sometimes hard to get. Uh, Redbreast is another one that I love. That's a, another Irish whiskey, um, you know, that uh, my wife got me some of that for Christmas. So uh, I'm right now, last couple nights, I've enjoyed a Redbreast uh, before bed. Sounds awesome. Well, I've got one update for you on Pete's Wicked Ale. I did some real-time research. It looks like they shuttered in 2011. Oh. I certainly know the name well. 
uh, wasn't really uh, of legal drinking age for long enough to try too much <laughs> of it. But it's so funny you mentioned that, as well as Pilsner Urquell, a, a Czech Pilsner, because I will be dropping tomorrow a year in beer uh, kind of review episode. And I had on a guest who's an expert in the whole industry, and he specifically mentioned Pete's Wicked Ale and Czech Pilsners. So I think you're onto something, some, some great polls beyond, of course, the Irish whiskey side of things. Um, well, I'll still have an occasional beer, believe me, especially when I go to a bar and I see they have Pilsner or Quell on tap. I mean, how can I pass that up? You know, it's impossible. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. And one more fun topic to get to, Smartlist being a podcast you've picked up on recently, I believe yeah. courtesy of your daughter. Uh, I have been doing the same, listening to a lot of it with my wife recently. I just love what uh, Sean Hayes, Jason Bateman, and Will Arnett are doing with that show. Any favorite episodes that you'd recommend to people who might be looking for a really entertaining listen outside the realm of sports? Well, the Jerry Seinfeld one was fantastic. And uh, then the other one I just listened to, I think yesterday, Woody Harrelson. <laughs> you know, a very unique character. And I think that was, uh, and I think he'd worked with a couple of those guys, you know, so they, they had some funny stories. And like I said, Woody is, uh, I think he's always been a very real, genuine person, maybe not really the Hollywood type, uh, you know, whatever you consider that to be. And uh, I, I thought that was a very refreshing conversation. So I would say those two episodes uh, go there. And, uh, you know, if, that does, if you don't like those two, you're probably not going to like the rest of the show. But I would start with those two. Yeah, sounds like an awesome starting point. Just a really fun listen, a departure from sports, but a, a refreshed perspective, I think, can do a lot of good at times. Sure. On that note, Chris, I want to let you uh, get back to your busy afternoon. But before we wrap up, got to plug your work. Of course, the author of two books, Then One Year being the latest and greatest, and Then One Day being the first one, on Twitter, at Andrew Sports, often on VSIN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network, a staple of the Guessing Line show with Gil Alexander to kick off each week. And of course, anybody listening can often find Chris at the South Point Hotel Casino as the sportsbook director. Chris, is there anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add? Well, I guess the only thing we want to add is until Amazon restocks their shelves with my book, go directly to Huntington Press. And I have the link right on my pin tweet. So that's the easiest way to get it. And uh, if you're looking at I don't make any more money one way or the other. It doesn't matter to me in that sense. But, you know, a lot of people want to read the book in Amazon. I mean, Jeff Bezos, I guess he's too busy trying to fly to Mars or something like that to restock my book. But I wish he would get it done. Yeah, hopefully uh, that's restocked by the time the third one comes out. It sounds Hope like so. that might already be in the works. So this can whet the appetite until then. Okay, bud. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Matt, for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It's a blast. I appreciate your time and insight. An absolute honor. And I will look to uh, try to stop by the South Point on a future Vegas trip to uh, maybe enjoy a drink in person. Here you go. I'd go for that. Goodbye. Thanks again to Chris, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed our conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. A close second would be to check out the BetUS NFL show I'm hosting on YouTube with professional bettors Las Vegas Chris and Scott Kellen. We're breaking down every game every week, and if you're catching this episode early, you can catch our pick show for Week 17 on Thursday, December 30th at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. You can check it out via the link in the show notes. One housekeeping item, if you live in an area where wagering is legal and want to kill two birds with one stone, go ahead and sign up for a sportsbook via any of the links at the bottom of the Props and Hops landing page on dimers.com. That way you can get down on some edges and support this show along the way. You can find a link to that page 
in these show notes. All right, that'll do it. Best of luck with your action in week 17. I'd wish you a happy new year now, but we've got one more episode to go in 2021. I'll talk to you tomorrow to review the year in beer with the best person I could think of to have that conversation. Until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. Thank <laughs> you.